This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, October 25th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. Medicare is a massive government-run healthcare program, but how does its existence, the system itself, impact the quality of the care it delivers? Cato's Michael Cannon is co-author of a new white paper on the subject. We spoke last week. When people think about healthcare and delivery and the programs that they make use of in order to receive uh, healthcare services and uh, products, I think people don't appreciate that they interact with one another, that uh, programs like Medicare or Medicaid have some impact on uh, healthcare delivered via other means. So what? how do you think of the relationship between specifically Medicare and uh, private sector healthcare? So the Medicare program has a big impact on the delivery of medical care, both for seniors and for even for people outside of, of the Medicare program. Researchers for a long time have been very worried about the impact that Medicare has on healthcare delivery because this hasn't penetrated the public consciousness yet, but researchers have been documenting for decades that Medicare has a negative impact on the quality of care. And a couple of examples are in 1995, the Intermountain Healthcare System implemented some new treatment guidelines that reduced pneumonia severity and even mortality from pneumonia. And since the guidelines however, also reduced the number and the complexity of admissions for pneumonia, Medicare, because of the way it pays for these things, actually paid Intermountain less when it saved those lives than it would have if Intermountain had allowed more patients to die. In uh, 2009, Baylor Medical Center implemented a new post-discharge care program for heart failure patients. It cut readmissions in half with no increase in mortality. But again, because there is less resource use, the Medicare program paid Baylor less, an average of $227 less per heart failure, failure patient. And Baylor had to scrap that program uh, because, the, uh, because it was financially unsustainable. Uh, and there are other examples of similar programs improving the quality of care, but Medicare paying them less, and so they're financially unsustainable. And researchers have known about this for a long time, and they've documented a lot of quality deficits in the delivery of care that, uh, that, that Medicare patients receive that we can trace back to the way Medicare pays for medical services. We call it a fee-for-service basis. Basically, what it means is for every service a provider delivers, they get a separate fee from Medicare. And that creates perverse incentives for doctors, others not to do things that would improve the quality of care because if those things would also reduce resource use. And we, we see it in places like Intermountain and Baylor and other examples I could mention. And this is something that happens whenever you have a single payer system like Medicare or like the Veterans Health Administration or like the Canadian Medicare system or the British National Health Service, healthcare is so complicated that any single way of paying for medical care is going to promote some dimensions of quality, but also discourage other dimensions of quality. And the only way you're going to be able to improve on all dimensions of quality is by having open competition between different ways of paying for medical care. We don't have that in the Medicare program right now. It is basically a single-payer program, at least the traditional Medicare program is. And so you get a lot of uh, 
the forms of low quality care that the payment system Congress selected for Medicare encourages. And you can't really fix the pro- problem by switching to a different payment system because you're just going to get a different set of perverse incentives and uh, different types of low quality care. The, the solution here is to take actually what is a democratic idea and apply that to the Medicare program. The uh, Democratic Party for a long time has been advocating something called a public option. This is the idea of having a uh, a government program compete against private insurers, but on a totally level playing field where the government's not favoring one side or another. It's not favoring one payment system over another. And we almost have something like that in the Medicare program because Medicare enrollees can choose either to enroll in the traditional fee-for-service Medicare program, or they can enroll in what we call a private Medicare Advantage program, where the government writes checks to an insurance company on your behalf, and then that insurance company provides you your Medicare benefits. Right now, there is competition between those private insurance companies and traditional Medicare. It's not on a level playing field, though. Uh, If Congress leveled the playing field, then we would have much more robust competition between those private insurers and the traditional Medicare program. We'd have much more experimentation with ways of paying for and rewarding quality in a way that we just don't get in the traditional Medicare program right now. And uh, and so uh, the, 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 the really interesting part of this idea is that if you apply this traditionally democratic idea to the Medicare program, uh, it would deliver higher quality care for Medicare enrollees. But, but the reason that it would do so is that it would result in a dramatic, drastic reduction in the government's control over the delivery of health care. Applying public option principles to the Medicare program would require Congress and the Medicare bureaucracy to take a step back from dictating benefits and dictating prices and all the other things that it does to control the uh, the delivery of healthcare and reduce the quality of care and let those let consumers themselves make those decisions in a competitive marketplace uh, it's a traditionally democratic idea that could dramatically reduce the government's control over healthcare and improve quality along the way backing up just a bit when you describe fee for service uh, as the traditional Medicare model, what does that look like in practice? And what are some of the other incentives that are built in when you uh, get paid per service that you provide to a patient? So when you pay healthcare providers a separate fee for each service they provide, that it, that promotes quality in a lot of ways. It encourages the provider to give you all necessary services, any services that might improve your health. It encourages those providers to give them to you. That's good. It also creates perverse incentives, though, because the providers have an incentive to give you care that will help you and even some care that might help you and even some care that is really questionable as whether this is going to help you or not. They get they just get paid for doing more and more and more. So at the margin, this encourages providers to deliver more services. And there are researchers who have tried to quantify just how much of the care that Medicare enrollees receive is low value or zero value care. And what they've come up with, uh, 
different researchers using different uh, uh, methods to, for trying to quantify the amount of waste in Medicare have uh, sort of converged around the estimate that one out of every $3 that Medicare spends does nothing to make Medicare enrollees healthier or happier. Part of the reason for that is just moral hazard generally, uh, but also but part of the reason is also because the Medicare program paves providers more for doing more. And when there's so much uncertainty in medicine, they the providers, knowing that medicine is on average beneficial, they err on the side of doing, when there's uncertainty, they err on the side of doing more. And that leaves us with a lot of wasteful care. There are other really interesting incentives that paying providers on a fee-for-service basis creates. And one of them is that if a provider finds a cheaper way of delivering the same health outcome, then fee-for-service pays them less for high, higher quality care and pays more for low quality care. And there's all sorts of research documenting this that uh, hospitals, for example, can double their their net margins when they're when patients suffer post-operative complications after surgery. And if hospitals re- take steps to reduce post-operative complications, then not only are they out the investment of those in those processes that improve the quality of care, but they get paid less from the fee-for-service payers. And so they just don't have an incentive to do these things. They don't have an incentive to invest in preventive care. Lots of uh, research has shown that seniors in the Medicare program do not receive uh, preventive services uh, or or very low-cost, highly effective interventions after heart attacks. Uh, And part of the reason is likely that while the Medicare program will pay hospitals for delivering those services, it pays hospitals so much more for an admission or a readmission that it creates a huge financial disincentive for hospitals to invest in those lower cost uh, and higher quality modes of care. When I spoke uh, not too long ago with Charlie Silver, he detailed what I thought at the time was sort of a mind-boggling number uh, when it comes to hospital-acquired infections. And that seems like a pretty legit scandal within healthcare. Uh, and in many cases, uh, to hear him tell it, it can be, in some cases, fairly inexpensive to bring those numbers down pretty dramatically. So researchers uh, and some uh, entrepreneurial physicians have come up with some simple steps that physicians can take to reduce hospital-acquired infections, including checklists that uh, physicians and other health professionals can uh, or should follow when inserting a central line, for example, to avoid central line-associated blood infections. Unfortunately, even though these are very simple, low-cost interventions, hospitals are very reluctant to implement them. They have not caught on the way that they should have, and people are getting infections unnecessarily and sometimes even dying from these infections, uh, even though we have these simple means of preventing them. And there's the, the reasons for this are probably multifactorial, but one of them is that when there are infections or anything, you know, any deficiencies in the delivery of care that results in more services being delivered later on, fee-for-service creates an ins- a disincentive for providers 
to uh, remedy those deficiencies in care uh, because if you do so, you end up getting paid less. And it's really hard to save the world when you can't pay the rent. And so this fee-for-service payment system that Medicare puts in place discourages quality improvements and as a result ends up causing indirectly a lot of suffering and even death. I mean, look at the, similar to the numbers for hospital-acquired infections, and even more troubling are the number of deaths uh, due to preventable medical errors. In 1999, the uh, Institute of Medicine estimated that 100,000 Americans die every year due to preventable medical errors. Since then, there have been estimates that say, no, the number is actually much higher, 250,000 or 400,000 uh, is one of the, uh, are the more recent estimates. And if even the, but if even the middle estimate is correct of 250,000, preventable medical errors kill more Americans than any other causes except for heart disease and cancer and perhaps COVID-19 in 2020. And uh, the the non-lethal harm from medical errors is uh, 10 to 20 times as large as that. But compare that to the number of Americans who researchers estimate die each year because of a lack of health insurance. At most, that's 26,000. That's too many, but that's an order of magnitude lower than the 250,000 whom researchers estimate die due to preventable medical errors. And again, these are preventable medical errors, uh, or or the, the Medicare program reduces the incentive of healthcare providers to invest in processes that reduce medical errors. Uh, and, and the Medicare Payment Advisory Commission acknowledges that sometimes the Medicare program actually pays more when a patient suffers uh, injury due to uh, a preventable medical error. There are all sorts of harms that Medicare, the single-payer program's payment system, causes, and the only way really to remedy those harms is to allow open competition between different payment systems as a public option framework would allow. Michael Canna directs health policy studies at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast pretty much anywhere, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.